Hey guys, welcome back to Shades of Brilliance. I'm your host, Sierra Venable, and today it is you and me. We're doing a Q&A. And before you run off and are like, whatever, I asked my Instagram to ask me some really juicy questions and y'all delivered. Um, I'm going to be answering them today, some of them today. And I also just want you to get to know me a little bit better. So I threw in some of my own questions. <laughs> so if you're like, okay, nobody asked her that. It's because I added it, okay? I am not ashamed to admit that I did beef up the questions with my own questions. Like, I'm not trying to be an influencer here. I'm keeping it very real, okay? Um, if you're new here, Shades of Brilliance is all about authenticity. And basically, you're following me on my journey and a lot of other people's journeys towards self-discovery. Um, I'm just really big about that. I feel like in your 20s, it is really hard to become who you are. Um, it feels so daunting, especially in this day and age, but it is possible. Um, if you listen to my first episode, I talk about how during the pandemic, I transferred from my big four-year school. I went to fashion school. I basically like flipped my life inside out 180 and it was a slow, agonizing process that kind of got me to that point. And ever since then, it's been like boom, 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 boom. Things have aligned. Things have made more sense. And I just feel more me. Still working on myself, not perfect. You know, things still come up, whatever. But that's kind of the goal of this podcast is to work through those things because we're not, we're not alone. I get all the time people will comment on my Instagram and be like, I was thinking the same thing but I thought I was crazy. Or I love that you said that because I feel so alone when I, when I think those things, like we're all in the same boat to some extent. And authenticity I talk about all the time is a very complex process. What you'll find is that it is not black and white. Like so much of our world, we are put into box, we are put into categories, whether it be gender, whether it be race, whether it be like the way you're supposed to present yourself, aesthetics. Oh my God, I have this whole new thing with aesthetics. Well, I'm cottage core and I'm like, it's another way to like put ourselves in boxes. And my goal is to just crack that open a little bit, get people thinking a little bit differently. So this has been fun. And yeah, I want you to get to know more about me today. So we're just going to jump right in. The first question is, where are you from? Now, again, nobody really asked this, but I wanted to include it because so many people are confused about where I'm from because I talk a lot about Virginia, but I also talk a lot about New Mexico. So <laughs> let me explain. Okay. I am born and raised in Virginia, born in Charlottesville, grew up kind of in Stanton. So if you know any of the geography of v Virginia, I grew up in like the Southern part of Virginia. So the culture was very Southern. My early educational experiences were a nightmare. You know, black students are treated like the absolute scum of the earth. I was diagnosed several times by white teachers that I had ADHD. I mean, it was just a very unpleasant experience. Something that I wouldn't have understood any differently had I not moved to the West Coast. Not that the West Coast is any better. It's just a different flavor of racism out here. But I am so grateful for having a different perspective on my life and the world because growing up in a small town, rural Virginia would have limited my beliefs extremely. Um, yeah. So when people think, oh, you're from Virginia, don't think DC, don't think like Arlington and all of those cities outside of DC. They're a lot more progressive, um, just completely different energy. But all that to say, I loved, loved, loved growing up in Virginia. My entire ancestry is from Virginia. I've been doing a lot of research on my family's history and kind of the slave trade. Virginia has an interesting history with the slave trade because it is below the Mason-Dixon line. So they were a confederacy. <sighs> Let me just not even go into all this because it's just too much. Let me just say this. My entire family, lineage and all, ancestors and all are in Virginia. Like I am from there in terms of blood, in terms of sweat, in terms of trauma, everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we don't have time. If I really went into all of the things I've learned about my last name and the slave owners that own my family, we would be here for entire podcasts. So let me, I'm, I'm cutting myself off to explain that when I'm in Virginia, I feel some type of way. It's an amazing feeling. It's a complex feeling. And it, it's that it really holds that feeling of hometown energy for me. 
And I'm thankful that I have some of that because, um, again, it's hard to explain. It's a lot of things I'm, you know, I'm glad we left. I'm glad that I've had other experiences, but I'm also completely in love with it. I grew up going to football games and we kind of lived close to a college town. So we went to a lot of JMU games. I ended up going to James Madison University for the first two years of my college experience. So there's a very close knit community in terms of football and sports. And my, a lot of my family lives in Charlottesville now. So UVA, the Cavaliers, it's just like a part of who we are. And in, in a good way, like in a really amazing way. And I, I really wish that I had more of that here and now in my life because I do love a good football game. I'm going to be honest, basketball, like just live sports where like people actually come together and have a good time. Like that's what I think about when I think of Virginia. So and, and the green, I miss the greenery. Like I miss the, like it really does change your perspective on life when everything is so lush and green. But anyway, we moved to New Mexico when I was like 10. So kind of half of my life I've lived in Virginia and the other half was in New Mexico. I did fourth grade, half of fourth grade, fifth grade, and then into high school in New Mexico. So I pretty much grew up here as well. Um, And my mom lives here, which is why I'm currently back in New Mexico. But I also have a love-hate relationship with New Mexico, mostly hate. The jargon here or the uh, slogan here is land of entrapment because a lot of people that are not from here in terms of like their family ancestry just seem to never leave. Like one year turns into three, three years turns into 10, and then you've basically been living here your whole life. Like it just rolls years roll into each other here. And I really do think it's because it's just such a suburb where you get really comfortable and then things get super convenient. So again, we don't have enough time to go into all of my feelings about it. It's been a great state to me. I have a lot of great friends here, but I don't feel connected to myself here. And that's a realization that I'm recently unpacking in therapy. So moving along, (laughs) that is where I'm from. That is the complexity of where I'm from. So whenever people ask me, oh, where are you from? I usually go with Virginia because I can swiftly explain a few of the cute little facts and move forward. But I feel conflicted about that because it's like, I guess I'm also from New Mexico. It's hard to explain. My driver's license is New Mexican. So the amount of bars I went to in LA and I got turned down because they didn't even think New Mexico was a state. They thought that my ID was fake. So I cannot wait to upgrade my license in a different state. Like I'm literally so excited for the four years to roll over so I can have a new ID in a different state. Like you have no idea. Again, moving on. Some people asked what my astrology chart was. My sun, moon, rising. My sun is Virgo. My moon is Sagittarius. And my rising is Cancer, which if you're into astrology, it's a very complex uh, chart because Virgo is earth, Cancer is water, and my moon is a fire sign. So I pretty much, I don't know. I'd have to ask my friends if I'm kind of a nightmare because I feel like my Sag moon loves to party. Like people are shocked because I'm so put together. Like my Virgo definitely shows through. I'm definitely type A in a lot of ways. I definitely um, am obsessive about things. I'm a perfectionist for sure. And then when I go out with people, they're like shocked that I'm, I'm really fun. And it's like, no, no, I have a Sag moon. Like I have no problem making the most out of any night out. Like I'm obsessed. But then my cancer rising like needs stability and needs security and is very emotional. I do have mood swings. I do like idealize having a family. It is just a part of being a cancer. So I'm kind of all over the map in terms of astrology. My Venus is also in Virgo. So, and I have a few other Virgo placements actually. So I think my Virgo mostly comes across. But when people first meet me, I think they get more of my cancer where I'm just very like, oh, hi, you know, I don't know, I guess I'm pretty sweet. But then the more you get to know me, it's kind of like, okay, who, what is wrong with her? (laughs) Because it's like the perfectionist starts to show through. And I hope I'm not a burden to anybody. I honestly sometimes feel like being a Virgo is so complex because we just like have our own world. And we don't know, we're always constantly trying to not push everyone to be better than they 
could be because it's just like so daunting to be friends with somebody like that. So I apologize if I'm like (laughs) making people push the needle and come on, work harder. It's just the earth sign thing. Okay. Um, My favorite color right now. This is a question that I added. I ask all my guests what their favorite color is. I know it sounds silly, but again, shades of brilliance. It's all about color. It's all about living life vibrantly and more fun and colorful. So my favorite color right now has to be yellow. And this is bizarre because I have always liked yellow, but I've never been able to really work with yellow. And so lately I've been really obsessed with the blue-yellow combo. Um, In color psychology, blue is kind of about loyalty, trustworthiness. It's very calming. A lot of times hospitals are blue, you know, because it's, it's a very, it has a very calming effect, but the blue yellow combo is elite. The yellow just like brings up the liveliness. It adds cheer. It adds optimism. And the blue just like is very calming. So I've been working a lot with those two colorways recently. Um, and green. I hate green personally. I don't know what it is. I just cannot stand green in terms of like fashion choices. But with my current job, I do a lot of graphic design and we've been working with a lot of green. Um, So that's been kind of fun as well to just play with different hues. I love color. Um, To explain a little bit more about why I'm so obsessed with color, I think that that's for me where the psychology aspect bridges the artist aspect. Because when I was in psychology at JMU, we did so much analysis. Like I really learned how to analyze through psychology. And when I went to fashion school, we did that with color theory and I was obsessed. Like it like bridged everything that I love and I'm nerdy about. So color is a very big deal to me. We will talk a lot about color in terms of branding. And actually speaking of branding, that's another question was what are your favorite brands right now? Um, I would say on a large scale, Right now, like on in terms of like a retail level anthropology, one of my teachers at FITM works for anthropology, and I think she does their sets and their visual displays. And I'm I um I honestly want to reach out to her on LinkedIn and be like, get me a job, please. No, 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 like please. The problem with anthropology though is they are located in Pennsylvania. So I wouldn't ever self-select to live in Pennsylvania personally, but I would die to work on anthropology's anything, graphics, branding, you name it, I'm there. They have been my favorite brand recently. And I was just explaining on my story today that they are a very bohemian brand. And I feel like they've gotten more chicer and more refined. I don't know if they've gone through a rebrand or what, but... I remember them being a lot more boutique-ish in like a bad way, in like a white girl way where you can't fit anything. You love the patterns, you love the color, but like nothing's really working out. They have expanded their sizing. I just bought two of like the best pairs of pants, the most insane trousers from them. It's like a very basic trouser, but it's got elastic. Like, let me find the name of it. Because I have been obsessed with everything. Like when you walk into the store, the candles, the homewares. Don't even get me started on the home section. Like I don't know what it is. I just think that their millennials are evolving and they're getting more chic. So the brand has evolved with them. Because I really do think that Anthro is a very like millennial brand. Um, But maybe I'm just a millennial. I don't know. I'm like obsessed. Okay. They're called the Colette full length wide leg pants by Maeve. And I think Maeve is their uh, self-brand. I think it's an anthropology label. So yeah, just check them out. Again, very retail. So for me, I feel like it has the same vein as like an Abercrombie, um, just a completely different aesthetic, but it kind of gives urban, which I'm not surprised because I think urban owns anthropology. So I'm sure there's a bunch of bureaucracy we can get into. But in terms of luxury fashion, Jacquemus, obviously. Obviously Jacquemus. I think everybody's obsessed with Jacquemus. And I think what's amazing about Jacquemus is it's so romantic. That just hit me today, like how romantic the brand is. 
the marketing is so extremely aligned to Simone's vision that it not, nothing misses. Like not a single product or self-expression from the brand misses. I just cannot stand that they're minimal. I hate minimalism. I do. But they are the only like minimalistic brand that I will really rock with because his attention to detail. And I don't, I don't mean like, oh, he he's so focused. I mean, there was an entire popcorn themed, not even a theme, you guys. Like this is elite level design. He, like he gets inspired by something and it influences the textures and the silhouettes and like every part of the drop or the release or the whatever it is that he's branding at the moment. So it's like the best example of a brand that has expression that can play because it's like there's this overarching theme, right? Because he, a lot of his stuff is inspired by the French countryside and growing up in the South of France. So it has that kind of French romantic aesthetic, but it's also just very playful and sexy. Like it can, it, it, the range is insane. And I don't know how he's doing that with minimalism, like it actually breaks my head to try to analyze it because it's just otherworldly. And I think the only explanation is that it is just so, his brand is so aligned to his taste that it cannot fail. I don't know if he's meditating every day. Like, I don't know how you even get that aligned to your vision. Oh, I love it. So Jacquemus for sure. Loewe. I just love Lueve. And I love that Lueve has been adopted by Black people. I feel like Lueve looks the sickest on a POC. No, no, no. Hear me out. It's the silhouette. It's just, oh, it's so like, uh, it's like avant-garde without trying to be avant-garde. It's and I think Lueve's inspiration is very similar to Jacques Mousse in the way that it's inspired by this Spanish, oh my God, I'm going to totally butcher this, but it's like a Spanish-inspired brand. But I want to say it's like the coast of Spain vibes. So it has this like tropical but very rich color palette, and they also have so much room for expression and play. I Anywhere I go... Any big city I'm in and there's a Loewe, I'm stopping in. Their optics, that's the one thing that a lot of luxury fashion brands fail is their eyewear. Loewe has the best eyewear. I would argue that their eyewear is better than anything else. If you're new here, I'm obsessed with eyewear, optics, lenses, frames, like the whole nine. I think it totally, totally changes any kind of self-expression. I'm very into that. So it's the shape and the silhouette. And he really plays with the bulbous nature of things. And I love like circular stuff. Like I hate a rectangle. I hate a square. I love circles. And so Loewe just like itches my brain in like very specific ways, similar to Jacques Mousse, but it does feel more maximal. And I, I love that. It's also just more playful. So anyway, Lueve, Coach. Let's talk about Coach. They're having a complete rebrand. They have to be because for a luxury purse, they've always been more affordable. And I love that. And I, my name is Sierra with a C. So I was a Coach girl simply because I could go get a bag with, with a C on it. Like I love a monogram. But I love the customization that they're adding. And they're playing with colors. Like, they're also getting more playful as of late. So Coach is on my radar right now as well. If you're into UK slash, like, European brands, House of Hackney, what really got me into design was interiors. So I love, love studying interiors brands. I kind of want an interiors brand. Like, I'm not going to lie. If I ever started, like, a homewares collection, don't be shocked. If I become Joanna Gaines, do not be shocked because House of Hackney has my heart, like truly. Like that's really when I was started thinking about going to fashion school because I was going to be an interior designer and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do interiors until I realized that my love for design happened in the conceptual process. 
So that's when I went into visual communications because I just wanted to communicate everything. I didn't want to just do interiors. And shocker, shocker, there's a lot of math involved with interior design. And I was like, you know what? Because people don't understand that interior design is really interior architecture. It's basically architecture on the inside of a space. So absolutely not will I be contacting a contractor. Absolutely not will I be on, on set. No, no, no. I want to go pick out the little pillows and stuff. So I wanted to be more of like a decorator. And that's when I was like, wait, I can decorate everything. I can do PR. I can do, you know, all of the visual stuff for everything, not just interiors. But long story short, I love interiors. House of Hackney is a fantabulous brand. Um, Katie France London. I think that's a smaller brand. I've been really into smaller brands lately for like just very fun, maximal stuff that is not on the main stage of, you know, product placement. Um, Katie France London is this woman that lives in London and she makes heart-shaped bags with like fringe. So her brand is going somewhere. If she's listening to this, which she's not, I would love to do her branding. Love, 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 love. Because she makes, again, I want to say that she started this trend of these heart-shaped bags, but she makes them in like all different patterns and colors and shapes and textures. And when I followed her, she DM'd me and was like, thank you so much for being here. Like, that is incredible. First off, I will always love you now because of just like the intention behind that. So I think a lot of times with brands, what comes through more than anything is the intention it's the energy. I'm telling you, it's the energy. And there's a lot of creative directors that are hired for big brands that just have the worst energy. And you can feel it. Not to mention all of the corporate bureaucracy. So I'm really just rocking with some small brands lately. And Katie France London is definitely one to check out. Um, I did have some people ask me what visual communications was. And I get this all the time outside of podcasting slash Instagram stuff because on my business card, it says visual concept designer. And people are like, what does that mean? <laughs> They're like, what, what is that? And I always say it's the design of concept. And people, I feel like they have a hard time understanding that because if we're doing our jobs correctly, you won't need to see. you. Hopefully the idea is that it wouldn't be obvious that there's a concept behind it that you just will be entranced with it. And so it does lend itself towards marketing, but I feel like it is more transcendent in terms of, like I said, meditation, like Jacques Mousse, for example, going back to Jacques Mousse as a brand. It's so aligned to who he is, Simon. I don't even know who he is, but I know that it's aligned to something bigger than he, who he is because that kind of marketing is insane to manufacture. Insane. Like even when you're working with multiple creative teams, everyone starts crossing their wires and it gets really complex. And okay, we didn't launch that because it wasn't a good idea. And blue is out. So we're going to go with pink instead. Like it's this whole process. But some of these brands that launch out of nowhere, it's like they're just so aligned. And so that's my goal as a visual communicator to not only create concepts, and when I say create concepts, I mean for public relations, like for literally anything. And I think it's easy for most people to digest it in terms of advertising. Like if you think of a really good commercial, like think of the Budweiser Clydesdale. Like every year at the Super Bowl, Budweiser does an ad with the Clydesdales, these huge horses. The marketer behind that is a genius because to connect beer with like fall festivities and like the essence and charm of a Clydesdale, like you are too smart. <laughs> and sometimes marketing can be used for evil. I'm going to be honest, like getting people to eat certain foods, the got milk campaign, all marketing. Milk is not inherently good or bad for you. We are the only species that eats other animals, milk, drinks other animals, milk. Like that's bizarre and it's all marketing. Like they needed to sell milk and all of a sudden milk is, it's good. It's going to make you stronger. It's ugh, athletes drink milk. Why wouldn't you? That's what visual communications is. It is basically the analysis and psychological 
conceptualization that is then externalized in some kind of artistic form. So it's a very complex process. And a lot of people are conditioned against that. I would argue that every single being on this planet has a creative intuition, but we are literally talked out of it. Like we, like literally, I just started The Artist's Way and it's basically this big workbook for artists and it, you go through and you basically heal. It's basically like a big journal, a big shadow work journal where you heal parts of yourself to unlock more creativity. And one of the first prompts that she has you work on is your monsters, these people in your life early on that shamed you out of creativity because the idea is that there's still a wound there that needs to be healed. And my literal kindergarten teacher, my literal kindergarten teacher was my first and biggest hater, damaged me creatively. She hated me for like whatever reason. I was just going into all of this literally yesterday. (laughs) I forgot she existed, but she could not stand me. She kept trying to diagnose me with like ADHD. And my mom was like, my daughter doesn't have ADHD. Like, you're not a doctor. Please sit back. I was getting screamed at daily for no reason. And honestly, you guys, thinking back, I was bored. Like, the shame that I carried from this woman, because in kindergarten, you're basically just doing art projects all day. Like, what are you doing? Learning numbers, you're learning colors, but you're doing everything through some kind of, like, artistic project. Because it's the only way to get kids to, like, focus at that age, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a teacher, so that could be completely wrong. But like when I was in school in kindergarten, we were doing all kinds of arts and crafts, but I was bored. I already knew my colors. I already knew my numbers. I had been to, you know, the pre-K and the pre-pre-K and the pre-pre-pre-K. I started school when I was four years old. Like I was literally been new to that stuff. And we would, I remember this one time, I'm going to go into this story because it's really bothering me. We had to she drew like a poinsettia on a piece of paper and like copied it in a photocopier. And we were supposed to take pieces of, uh, what is it called? Um, tissue paper. And we had to like take the glue stick and use a little bit of glue, smear it out a little bit and stick the tissue paper to the poinsettia. So at the end of it, it looked like this big, you know, you can see the texture. Like it's a bunch of little pieces of tissue paper crumpled up, you know, glued onto this um, outline of a of a flower, right? Well, I finished it in like five minutes. I remember I was like, done, done. Like, what next? What else? <laughs> and she was like, add more. Like, she was just such a hater, such a hater. And she would scream, like literally, Sierra, Sierra, like literally would scream at me for no reason. Everything I did pissed her off because I, looking back, I had so much influence over the class. And I feel like that is a lot of my early educational experiences where teachers either loved me or they could not stand me because of my influence over a classroom. I was the talker. I was the disruptor. So like some teachers found me so useful because they would involve me. They would take my skills of connection and I don't know, just extrovertedness. And they would be like, Sierra, can you go ask so-and-so if they can do this? Like they would utilize that skill. And in those classes, I thrived. In the classes where the teachers just found me a complete distraction, mind you, I'm black. So they cannot stand black children. Like we need to talk about that. Educators have no tolerance for black children. If you get one question wrong, if you, God forbid you raise your hand and get the question wrong in a black, as as a black child in a classroom, you're not called on again. Like it's palpable. There were some teachers I would be sitting in the corner, face to the wall, nose in the corner because I would, you're talking so much. No, no, you don't get it. I know all of these kids whole life stories. I was listening to them. The teachers weren't even listening to them. So it's like they were so disruptive because nobody was really catering or trying to hear them out. Oh my God, looking back, I was such a little therapist, bro. Like I just valued connection and I did not understand the point in, you know, doing everything a right way. Like I was such a little artist and I didn't realize it until I was 20, no, 19 years old. It took me forever to get back to that, which some people, it takes them a lifetime. So I'm thankful that I woke up, you know, early on in my life, but 
I just think back to those early educational experiences and I'm like, dang, <laughs> like no wonder I internalized all of that and thought I was crazy. People literally called me crazy. Now that's a red flag for me. Like if I have a friend who's like, oh my God, you're so crazy, done. Because maybe I'm just too crazy for you. You know, like you're not everyone's people. And I really fell into some issues with that. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> I don't know why that just came out right now. I've been doing all this shadow work on that kindergarten teacher and I was like floored. Because when you can look back as an adult and hear the younger child, it's such an interesting dynamic because it's like, wow, you weren't the problem. Like you can see it from all angles as an adult. So anyway, again, moving on. Another question I got, and this is probably the last one I'll do because I feel like I've already, it's probably already like 50 minutes in, but somebody asked me what my crazy LA stories were. And a few people asked. One person asked what my um, FITM roommate stories were, which in living in LA, living in California, you have to have a roommate. Like first off, everybody that I know that's currently in Los Angeles, their parent is paying their rent. If not half, like you, people have to do sketchy stuff to live in LA right now, which is why I came home because I was like, I, I can't like, absolutely not. I didn't have like, I mean, it was just a last minute. Everything was so last minute. I didn't have time to like arrange a whole living situation with my friends. So that was a whole separate thing. But regardless, living situations are crazy because <sighs> California just has a really bizarre culture, especially in LA. Cause everybody goes to LA to like make it, you know, so they're just carrying all of this pressure with them and it makes it really hard to live with people. So for example, <laughs> when I first moved to LA, I lived with four girls or no, three girls. We lived in a high rise downtown, which the tea on the high rises is nobody can afford them. Nobody can afford them. So the high rise that I lived in and I was technically in student housing, but the student housing was an apartment. So we pretty much had an RA that would come by like once every blue moon and go, are you guys alive? And we'd go, yeah. Like that was the vibe. Um, but anyway, so the high rises, you know, the rent is like three grand a month. So no, who can afford that? Nobody, not to mention nobody wants to live downtown. Like no actual Los Angelan is, is choosing to live downtown. Like, that's for the people that don't know anything about LA and they go, oh yeah, I want to live in a high rise. So the the apartment I was living in was also converted into a hotel. So I would be coming home from school, like a late class. Sprinters would be pulled up full of rappers. I'm just trying to go to bed right now and y'all are partying. So it was like, honestly, horrible. Again, I'm a cancer rising I need stability. I need that home base. I need like the fresh baked cookies type shit. So living in a city is really difficult for me because it's sometimes it's just too much. It doesn't feel homey. It doesn't feel right. If I could do LA over again, I would definitely live in like Silver Lake. Um, yeah, Silver Lake. That's it. Moving on. Next story. So <laughs> I move in and right off the bat, two of the girls are moved in. We're missing one girl. Her stuff is in the room, but she wasn't like coming by. So we were just like, okay, maybe she'll just be like an in and out kind of roommate, which is honestly kind of nice. Like it's nice to not have four people constantly at home. So move all my stuff in. The other girls are great. Like everything's fine. Very early on, the girl starts coming back into the unit and it's very clear that she is on drugs. And I don't mean like, oh, she smokes every now and then. I mean like, mm, this feels unsafe. And this is the first time I'd ever really been around addiction. And it's really bizarre because you think that you would be upset. It's really a deep fear. So deep that your nervous system is never at rest. Like I have never had this experience in my life where my, I was completely engulfed in terms of my nervous system. So me and the girl across the hall um, became friends very quickly because we were both just like, oh, this is like a little weird. We we're both very anxious. Okay. There's no like evidence, but it was pretty evident over time that like, okay, I don't think this person is safe. So <laughs> it's like this back and forth, but my roommate and the girl across the hall's roommate were like never really home. 
So we're just kind of like, okay. Again, the in and out roommates make sense. Not really an issue because, again, they're never home. So after like a week, maybe two weeks of living there, we had done orientation. You know, you go to all the entry stuff. It was just clear that they just were not going to be at the house a lot. So me and this girl across the hall became very close and we would like, you know, spend the weekends together watching movies or, you know, doing whatever we would do. She would go off and do her thing and go to a museum or, you know, go back with her hometown friends or whatever. And that was that. And it was just great. But when the girls would come home, our roommates would come home. It was like nervous system back on fight or flight mode, like bad, you guys. Like I, again, never in my life have I experienced this. So I didn't know how to navigate it. So one day I wake up and LEPD is banging at my door. Like, boom, 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 boom. Mind you, these are cops. And not like, okay, in LA, there's a lot of patrol cops that you'll see in like kind of the beat down cars. I'm talking LAPD is at my door. Like the real, real deal. Um, I'm traumatized now because as a black person, why are the cops at my door? Like, I don't, I don't ever need to experience that. Like pretty much ever because cops in the black community, uh, oil and water, okay? I'm not trying to deal with that. So very fearful of the cops, obviously. And they are <laughs> trying to get their job done, okay? So they're just banging on the door. I'm thinking it's like the RA or something. I open the door, it's the cops. And they're like, where is so-and-so? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, look, I don't know where she's at, okay? And they're like basically disclosing that her parents don't know where she is. This person is missing. And again, I have this deep feeling that she was not going to be safe. So I'm like, oh my God. And they said, well, basically there's nothing we can do. So whatever. Because she's not, she wasn't home. They were going to do like a wellness check, whatever that means. So now I'm like, you know what? This is not funny anymore. And the addiction I'm realizing is more than smoking marijuana. Okay. So I'm like, oh my God. So long story short, I get the RAs involved and I tell the school because I'm like, hey, I don't think this person is um, okay. Like I was very much trying to come from a compassionate place. My fear was that she was going to be dead somewhere. Like it, it was to that level. It wasn't like, uh, she's dabbling. No, it was like, okay, this is not good at all. And I was, I was very fearful that she would not, uh, see to live many days. Like that's kind of what it ended up turning out to. And there were times where she would be, Hey, if I don't come back in 30 minutes to call the cops, girl, what? Because, you know, roommates look out for each other, but what I can't do is constantly be afraid for your life. And her parents were concerned. Like everybody in her life seemed to be really concerned except for the people that were taking advantage of her, which is a whole other story, okay? So the school tells me that I'm lying and that I'm just a bully because the other issue was none of my other roommates corroborated my fears. They were just like, oh yeah, well, I don't know because there's all these other dynamics going on of manipulation. <laughs> so nobody really wanted to be honest. And my roommate um, also liked to party. So I think she was trying to take advantage of this other person who was just clearly resigned to her life. Like, I don't think she really cared about where she was or where she ended up. So that became a whole thing. And it was a, an absolute nightmare. So long story short, my mom comes out and comes back to LA and moves me out. I lived in that high rise for like, gosh, maybe three, four weeks. The, my poor uh, friend across the hall, we're still friends to this day, by the way, she literally dropped out of the school because it was very clear that the school was afraid of negative press because fashion school is not your typical four-year, okay? They very much have to keep their reputations on 10 because of the industry, because of the beast of the fashion industry. So like I was basically gaslit you know, painted as the angry black woman, you're lying, you're just a bully. And the school felt horribly bad, I could tell, because they were like, well, um, we, we could do this for you, girl, boo. You just sit there and acted like I was crazy. Painted me out to be somebody crazy when I was really concerned about this girl's safety, still am concerned about her safety. I don't even know where she is right now. 
like it was terrifying. And it taught me a lot about the fact that people really don't care. Like there were multiple people in the situation who could have said, Hey, you know, this isn't okay. You're right. I'm afraid for this person's safety. No, nobody wanted to care. Nobody wanted to confront it. LA is messy. Like they, like, I was just like, is she going to be okay? (laughs) Like it was literally horrible. And that's when I realized LA is not for the week. (laughs) Like they really don't care. I moved into a different apartment. Um, It was more homey. So I liked that. There were some other dynamic issues, but all in all, it was a much better. And then I ended up moving again to a better apartment experience. So my roommate experiences got better and better and better as I moved on. But it was really hard to come back from that because I was just like literally just traumatized and felt like I had like when you move somewhere, you don't know anybody and you experience something like that. It is very isolating, especially when you have the school telling you, oh, well, you're lying. I was like, okay. So that was one of my first LA experiences. I also went to Fashion Week. That's another crazy story that I could tell. (laughs) Because, and, and they happened, these events, the living situation and the Fashion Week experience happened in and around the same time. So I fully wanted to leave LA. Like after the first month that I lived there, I was like, actually, this is not for me. I will never come back here again. Like I was done. Um, I I got tickets to Fashion Week somehow. And it was, I don't even know how I got, I think I must have asked an administrator and they gave them to me. And I went with people that I thought were going to be like, just... I went with influencers (laughs) and that was my problem. Okay. Because knowing what I know now, influencers have a lot of work they have to do. They're very much like have to be on the phone. They have a lot of people they have to please. And it's, I get it. It's a whole dynamic, but I wasn't prepared for that. Okay. Um, these girls invited me in this group I went with the Uber with another group of girls, not the main group of girls. Like it was so much like high school petty drama. These people were running around the event, you guys, running around the event with microphones that plugged into their phones, running up to Usher, running up to, because I had never been in a place where there were celebrities. So on top of like experiencing the culture shock of LA, I'm not an event where Usher's in the mix, Chance the Rapper is just involved all of a sudden. Like they they come for the last part of the show. And the biggest thing about Fashion Week and what I didn't learn until I went to Fashion Week is each designer has a different, um, what is it called? Like set list. So they have like certain people sitting in certain places and it's it's a very interesting thing. So when one show finishes, everybody gets up clears And then the next show starts, they let all the people back in, the general admission people kind of find their seats and then it's another show starts. And then you get up and it's like rinse and repeat. You're just getting up and going and getting up and going. Well, the last show is the finale show. It's the show that everybody goes to see. So when you see New York Fashion Week and you see like Anna Wintour in the front, that's the last show. That's like the creme de la creme. They pop in for the 15 minutes and they leave. So- But also New York Fashion Week is way more involved than LA Fashion Week. So I'm sure there's a lot more stuff to do in New York Fashion Week. But regardless, you get the point. The last show is the biggest show. That's when the celebrities pull up. These girls go ape. They're running around the event. They're like bulldozing people. One of the girls' moms comes to the event. And the mom is like bulldozing the workers, the people that are organizing and trying to structure the back half of the show. Uh, these girls go to fit them and they deserve to be here. They should not have to leave this section. Mind you, we're all general admission. So I'm just excited to be here. Now you're going to disrespect the, the workers? Like, who do you think you are? It was insanity. Her mother is doing that. First off, why is your mom here? Second off, why is she bullying people? Like, that's crazy. Like I, I was just in over my head when you go, when I, we also, when we went into the fashion week experience, they have this whole red carpet set up. I'm not expecting to be on the red carpet. Who am I? Well, they expected to be on the red carpet. Ugh, excuse me. We were here yesterday. We need to be on the red carpet. I don't understand. Like just bulldozing people because of what they felt they deserved. 
Like that is just not how I was raised. I don't care how LA you get. I don't care how much success and followers and money you get. You get more flies with honey than you do with shit. Like, I just could not believe that people really acted like that. Like, I expected, like, Beyonce to act like that. No, no, these are, like, people my age. Actually, they were younger than me. And the entitlement was at an all-time high. I was like, I'm not cut out for L.A. And when I tell you running up to celebrities, making their way somehow in the VIP section with a little microphone from Amazon plugged into her phone, talking about some, oh, um... I interviewed him. I interviewed Usher. Girl, go on and sit down. Go on and sit down. Her mother at one point was running across the venue, jumped up on the podium, like the platform where the models walk. Only white people can get away with that. I was flabbergasted. So the like again, those two experiences were happening and unfolding at the same time. I don't know how I made it through. I think people just have this star studded stars in their eyes thing with LA and looking back, it's a funny story. Like I have, I like, I don't even hold this to them anymore because it's like, honestly, they're young and they really thought they could just come to LA and act like that because that's how influencers act. Like that's how the online space people act. Like they do anything to get the picture. They do anything. I didn't realize that. I thought there was some level of decorum and that kind of behavior was just safe for like A-list celebrities. No, people go to LA to like enshrine themselves as a, as a figure of some sort. And of course, authenticity and like, you know, figuring out who you are and piecing together an identity is a great thing. But when it becomes to certain people's um, detriment, that's when my issue starts to come in. Like yelling at the employees of the event because you really, I mean, this is LA fashion week. Like it really isn't even that big of a deal to start with. Oh my God. Some of the designers were African. Their work was incredible. And I remember the mom looking at me, not during an African show, because I think she knew better, but during one of the contemporary shows. And she was like, what does that mean? Like, was just point, like just was being critical for no reason. And I think that really bothers me about the fashion industry, how people literally make their entire career off of being rude. Like they just are rude to people. Like that's accepted in the industry. Being rude, like pushing people around, bossing people around. And it's like, this is a character that you're literally a mask right now. You could see they were just wearing masks, like playing a part. It's wild. And it was so, I was so like disassociated the whole night because my living environment was not safe. And then I'm dealing with, I just felt so unsafe. I think the word is unsafe. I felt really unsafe. I went home alone because at one point they were like, we have to sneak into the after party. I was like, good night, (laughs) night guys. Like, so LA is wild. I feel like those are my two craziest stories. Um, My God, you guys, I like gag when I think because I just, I knew, I think also I wanted to get my degree from the school that I was at, but I was not meant to live in LA. Like it just wasn't me. And I know that that's not the the reality of Los Angeles. Um, LA has so many amazing parts and facets of it in terms of like culture that it's just being like stamped out by so many things. So like, I, for example, I met people that were from Los Angeles, like they were native to Los Angeles, but they had communities, they had friends, they had all of these other things that made their lives so much richer. I didn't have that. I was a transplant through and through. And I really regret like not being able to really connect to the true Los Angeles because I think it would have been a completely different experience. I also was living downtown so that's not really like LA, like at all, because I am so critical of LA because I was so uncomfortable. I was just so uncomfortable for like the first year and a half. And as I made friends and my community expanded, I like I still have friends in LA and I love my friends and I love, you know, the people that I've gotten to know. But as far as a lifestyle, 
I can't do it. I also just hate the cars. The infrastructure in LA is a nightmare. You can't get to the people that you want to meet because you don't know they exist. So it just, everything about it, it takes, it took me so long to like stop being bitter. But anyway, those are my two craziest LA stories. I hope this brought us closer. I hope that you got to learn more about me. I hope that you go to LA. (laughs) If you're in LA, go to the Rosewell Flea Market. That was my fave or writ thing to do. Fave or writ thing to do. I loved doing that. It was very community oriented. It felt very fun. Anything in Silver Lake was my favorite. There's an amazing cafe called Cafe Figaro. My friend Sarah introduced me to Cafe Figaro, and that was my literal. I inv- I took everybody to Cafe Figaro. Um, what is the other? Little Dom's is also another really great restaurant in Silver Lake. Um, there's a lot of fun exploring you can do in Silver Lake, like in terms of looking at houses and things. So I loved like Silver Lake. I did a lot of Santa Monica, which is kind of you know, I guess kind of typical. It's kind of touristy over there, but like walking the big what is that called? That big sidewalk thing where you can walk and then there's bikers and, you know, roller skaters. Like that area is super fun. Um, I went to like some West Hollywood parties, which was crazy. That's another crazy LA story. (laughs) One that is so crazy that I just, I think I locked it away. Nothing bad happened to me, thank God. But like the house parties are not where it's at. Like everybody tries to get into the mansion parties and they're just not worth it. It's like a bunch of stuck up, like overgrown frat boys who think that they're Drake. And I actually watched a documentary on the Playboy Mansion and all of that culture literally comes from Playboy. The Hugh Hefner thing, when you lock women and abuse them inside of this big mansion, but it's passed off like a party. That's pretty much what the mansion parties are giving. I would avoid them or go for the plot, but go with people that will leave with you and will make sure that you're safe. Like, don't go with the boy crazy girls because you will be there all night. And luckily that did not happen to me. (laughs) It got rainy and we had a fun time and we went home. Anyways, you guys, I don't know how to end this any other way than just to end it. The episode is over officially. Um, If you're new here, you can follow me on Instagram at Sierra Venable. It's just my first and last name because I will do more Q&As and that's where I will have them. I just ask my story. Forewarning, my story is long. I talk a lot on there. My story was my podcast before my podcast was a thing. So I still have not completely um, moved all of my thoughts onto the podcast format. A lot of times what I do is I go off the cuff on my Instagram story. I refine my thoughts and then make episodes here. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. But Anyways, I hope that you loved getting to know more about me. Again, I want to do this more and more because I had a lot more to say than I thought I was going to say. So this was really fun. I will see you next Friday. New episodes drop every Friday. Keep a lookout for the big announcement episode. It's going to be a big one. And I have some really great guests coming up as well. So those will be really great episodes as well. And people that I really just want to introduce you to, like really, really cool people that are very authentic and are very aligned with the same thing. Um, We are all very complex beings and leaning into that is how we feel better. So with that said, I will see you next Friday. Bye guys.